Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Desgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And once again, this is not just a podcast about getting medical pearls to pass your board exam. If you want that, I do have my Beyond the Pearls podcast for my med students out there. But the Dr. Raj podcast is about being yourself. It's about being happy. It's about helping others. It's about wellness. And it's about stories, stories that will make you laugh, stories that will make you tear up sometimes. And when I first got the podcast, I said that there will be some some media stars on my podcast one day. And today... Finally, we have a huge star on our podcast. I'm a little nervous, my fans. I'm a little nervous. But before I introduced, I wanted to say a little something I kind of prepared in the back of my mind that my amazing star today is someone that I did watch on TV growing up, even though he doesn't want to talk too much about it. I, I, I'll talk about anything you want, Doc. <laughs> I also watched him on two shows at the same time. And then, you know, I kind of watched him on a little bit of HBO on this show called Entourage that I just loved. And I was bawling my butt off while <laughs> listening to him. But today, my guest isn't here to talk about his books or his comedy or all the things he does. He actually is here to actually talk about a disease state that's really near and dear to my heart, my wife's heart, because my wife, for those who don't know, is a rheumatologist. And this disease is called scleroderma. So we're going to do a little bit of both. And with that being said, let me introduce Mr. Bob Saget. Oh my God. Like that. That was a, that was, how do you follow that? that was, that's amazing. Thank you, Dr. Raj. I am, I am uh, humbled. Um, it's, it's funny, whenever you do that intro, I was I performed last night at the comedy store and I gave someone an intro like that and he was really mad at me. <laughs> he said, I can't follow that. Well, you know, I prepared because I think a, a good host, no matter what you're doing, needs to be prepared. So look at this. I dorked it out. I have typed up stuff here. So... Bob, the the, uh, the routine of the show is going to be, we're going to do the meet and greet to see if you actually like me or not, and I get to know you. Right. And then after that- That's already uh, happened. <laughs> then after that, we're going to actually actually talk about what scleroderma is and go from there. So, are you ready? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm born ready. I guess. <laughs> so, the, the, so, before I give you the question, a little background so you can see why I'm asking you this, is that after I finished my sleep fellowship in Detroit, I moved to Philadelphia because my wife did her room fellowship at Penn, which is an amazing hospital, does many amazing things for scleroderma patients. And I lived in uh, the Philadelphia area for two years, and the hospital that hired me was Abington Hospital. Oh, my. I had my hands sewn up there. <laughs> and I think there was more that happened around there. And Abington is a beautiful city. The hospital is amazing. So my question to you is, how did you like being raised in Philadelphia? How did you love, you know, going to school in the Abington area? And 
what's your take on that? My, my story is interesting because I was born at Einstein Hospital. And then about four years old, my dad was with Food Fair Pantry Pride Supermarkets, which probably went bankrupt when you were little. And <laughs> and then we moved to Norfolk, Virginia, and then I moved to California. So when I was seven, 16, I came back uh, right before the uh, senior year. And Abington High School was just one year of my life. and oh. but, I, but I worked in a deli at Cedarbrook Mall uh, as a deli clerk from throughout high school and through college. I lived okay. in my parents' apartment. I am not a child of privilege. And I, uh, my mother worked at uh, Children's Hospital uh, oh. in Philly. And she was an administrative uh, assistant to a big guy there. And I did a lot of comedy at Penn. Quite a and bit of did. it. Yeah, I was a part of it in Harry's Coffee House, which is at the bottom of one of the dorms. And I would mm -hmm. get paid in pizza at House of Pagano's. So <laughs> I, I, I'm real familiar with Thanks. your, your wife. So, very smart. So, you know, in uh, any good interview, you always want to learn about your, you know, your guests. So, of course, I went to Wikipedia. That's where all good people get their information from, you know. Right. So, <laughs> so you can... So my question to you now is, according to Wikipedia, I don't know if you actually read about yourself there, you wanted to be a doctor, but you ended up as so much more and you make so many people laugh and yeah. happy. Is that true? And are there any regrets? Do you want to go back and really be a doctor? I'd like to, without any education, do brain surgery. <laughs> You know, just do it like a horror film guy. Uh, you know, a lot of people have on their T-shirt, what I really want to do is direct. What I really want to do is brain surgery. And um, I, I, there's one more joke I have to tell you, which is true. When people are making a movie, they go, well, at least it's not brain surgery. But making a movie can be yeah. hard. So I sometimes think two brain surgeons are working and one says, at least we're not making a movie because it's the opposite. Um <laughs> I really wanted to be a doctor and I w went to Temple University yes. and I had a, a teacher at Abington who changed my life, really. Elaine Zimmerman. She's no longer with us. She was amazing. And she told me, and this is a joke I've done actually, but it, it was a real true thing that she said, don't become a doctor, become a comedian oh. and a filmmaker. And the, the, the joke was she saved thousands of lives because I would have. It would not have gone well. I couldn't do chemistry. I couldn't do math. I couldn't do bio. So I was pre-med for one semester, and then I switched over to the radio, television, film department at Temple, and then I made films. And ironically, I made a film about my nephew having his face reconstructed called Through Adam's Eyes, and it won the Student Academy Award. And my nephew was seven at the time, and he narrates the film. It's a short film, black and white, 11 minutes, and I shot it at Children's Hospital, which is where he had all of his uh, surgery. So I have a strong connection to your past life and, and, and your wife's. No, and you actually, you know, I don't know if there's a two-way camera. You read my next question was, what was your motivation for Through Adam's Eyes? Because um, I, I, I did my research and I was very impressed that, you know, I'm at USC right now and we have a huge film department and many people will make, you know, a variety of different films. And to have a film about facial surgery, about what they're going through, I mean, that's pretty mature for someone who ended up on Entourage and all these other really cool shows. So right. I'm impressed. And, I, you know, I kind of read about it and I was like, wow, that's deep. So... Well, it was my background. I started making movies when I was nine years old, all eight millimeter, super eight. Uh, through Adam's eyes, I was at Temple University, yeah. so it was 16. And I, a 16 millimeter, sorry. And 
that was because I loved my nephew so much, and his story was one that I thought should be told of, of what a kid goes through. And, and he had Treacher Collins syndrome, which is I, where wow. your parts of your face are pulled down um, and there's not enough bones in your nose structure often. And it had the uh, appearance uh, of, for some people, of Down syndrome, but um, his, his brain was fully uh, healthy and um, I don't want to say uh, Down syndrome people are not healthy, but he, he didn't have that yeah. uh, element. And so they took ribs out of his chest and they literally, like the movie Face Off, took his face off and put bones in behind his eyes and in his nose and built up his face and yeah. built up one of his ears and put tubes in his ears. And so he went through quite a hardship and uh, he's amazing today. He's, you'd never know anything. He's an adorable guy. He's, he's a real estate guy and an event planner and he's got an amazing life. Wow. It it meant a lot to me to make, make that movie. It was, it was a special thing. No, it sounds like it. And I'm going to switch gears on asking you about your life because, um, This was kind of interesting and scary, I'm sure. I want to hear the story about it, if there was a good story about it. That you had a gangrenous appendix at one time. And I'm going to tell you, I don't wish an appendicitis on anyone. My mom had an appendicitis, and she was vomiting. I had to rush her to the hospital. They had to take it out. She's doing good. Hi, Mom. Love you. Now, they have a gangrenous appendicitis. That doesn't sound good. So what were you doing, and did it get you to the hospital? On time and well, I I should have been at USC where you are, but I was at UCLA, and it was July. It was July Fourth, ironically. Really, okay. and and um, I was a twenty-two-year-old kid who moved out to LA. I was going to go to USC film grad school. I got in. I went for three days, and I quit because the oh. owner of the comedy store said, "Work here for free," and I <laughs> and I did. But then they started paying, and I was there for eight years. Uh, and touring a country and taking acting classes, doing all I did. So at 22, I'm living in my single apartment in Palms and because it was a straight shot to USC. That's why I moved there. Okay. And, and, but then I quit. And um, I had severe pain, uh, you know, the, the right lower abdominal pain. And what, it, what is it called? Well, they have a quadrant, so it's like kind of like the right lower quadrant, and there are all Got these it. dorky medical words there, but you didn't know that was the appendix at the time, right? Did you think you had just some, some gastritis or something? Yes, that's what I usually would think it was, because I always <laughs> ate bad things. And uh, my girlfriend, who later became my wife, who later became my ex-wife, who is my, now my friend, uh, took me to the hospital. Uh-huh. Um, and she took me to the hospital, and my nep- I can't remember how I got there. It couldn't have been my nephew. He was a child. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah, he was. Uh, I have, there's a button. There's a funny ending to it with my nephew uh, being nine okay. being nine and visiting me in California. I don't know how I got there. I, anyway, <laughs> I, I, I got there and they didn't have a doctor. And they said, you have to wait till seven in the morning. I said, but I'm, I'm in severe pain. And it is the worst pain I've ever been through in my life. And as you know, we don't remember pain. But we can remember that it was the worst pain of our life. And they said that it's up there with childbirth, that it is, it's, it can be that bad. So they put ice packs on me for seven to eight hours and left me for dead, not even thinking. I don't think it had perforated until later in the morning. 
I think I was going to be just a routine appendicitis. Um, and then the doctor finally showed up. They finally did the surgery and it perforated. And I was very fortunate that the gangrene didn't hit my abdomen because I obviously could have died. Yeah. And they had to put me in a private room and they were a little scared that I was going to sue them, I think, because they shouldn't have done that. They should have, they should have awakened the doctor and gotten him there. Sorry about his cushy life and operated on me. And, um, it was so bad that they couldn't sew it up. So I had to stuff it with a Q-tip and gauze for about four months, an open wound. And it was like Civil War stuff. Uh, you can't mention Civil War these days. <laughs> it has yeah. a whole different meaning. But it was like, yeah, it does. you know, it's 200 years ago work, you know, <laughs> or, you know, how they would take care of somebody. And so I would stuff it with gauze and then have to redo the dressing myself. Oh, geez. And now I don't think they would do that. They would probably clean it out, yeah. cauterize, do whatever, <laughs> right. you know. But they kept me. And today it looks a little bit like you could do that with it, you know. <laughs> It's not, it, I'm, I, from here, I'm going to Pilates to try again to get that appendix scar to, uh, they never closed it up, so it closed up by itself. So that took oh months. And, and that was, a, you know, there's a lot of times my family could have sued hospitals and we chose not to because <laughs> I wasn't a suing family. But now I'm in show business, so now all bets are off. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was pretty scary and uh, uh and people should be aware of it when there's lower right quadrant pain that could wow. that could be one of the things right yeah well what else could it be like she was in her she was in her late 70s no mid sorry mom kind of mid 70s and i'm like i don't think she's gonna get an appendicitis now and it was just maybe the some old chicken or something but yeah it's scary and you had to go to the, the operating room relatively quickly they didn't give her the, the bob saget ice pack treatment for seven hours i'll tell you that right much, you know <laughs> what else could it be when a person gets that pain there well number one it depends if you're male or female if you're going to be a woman of course you think about the ovaries right. there are other things it could be if you're in reproductive age you always think about ectopic pregnancy pregnancy now you're making me dorky medicine no i like no uh, you're answering a question i think people need to know and, and, you know, and sometimes even though we memorize in textbooks that the right lower quadrant is where the appendix is, and there's something called McBurney's point tenderness, it always can mimic. And some people get left-sided abdominal pain, some get abdominal pain right in the middle. So I think the important thing is, I think, go to the doctor right away. You don't want a gankerness appendix. And if someone says ice packs and sit overnight, maybe you should call me or Bob. We could help you out, you know. <laughs> I'll take the call. <laughs> um, I'm going to switch things up because I, ha- I, I, I purposely picked all these uh, different questions from around. So here's a, a question I want to ask you that, um, you know, I was really lucky to dabble. And I just mean dabble a little bit in the media world. And it is hard. And sometimes it does feel like it's brain surgery and it takes a lot of time and commitment. And I just want to know if you could jump in your DeLorean and go back in the time machine when you're doing two super huge TV shows at the same time. I'll say the names. It was America's Funniest Home Videos and Full House. How is that possible? And did you sleep at all? I I didn't sleep, but I was also very fortunate because the tree opened up and they were both accidents. uh, The shows, that's not a critique. (laughs) I was... um, (laughs) I was in New York on a CBS show. I was the first choice for the part on Full House, but I wasn't available. And then I got fired from the CBS show. 
Yeah. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so I became available. My manager called uh, the producer, Jeff Franklin of Full House, and said, he's available. And then we started the show with me on it instead of another actor, uh, which I felt bad about and still do to this day, actually. Okay. And then I did the show and it didn't do well. Full House didn't do well for three or four years. It did really badly. Oh. And these days, okay. ABC would have pulled it. They wouldn't have left it on for more than one or two episodes. They would have gone, what is this? And that's how it became this world um and that's why streamers are cool because they kind of if you make 10 they'll air 10 you know um but okay. with, with the networks they got just too much at stake financially now and i don't think people really follow their gut all the time on i love this show and that's what bob Iger did with this show and bob Iger is you know he's he runs all of the disney company and he's a wonderful guy started my career and ted harbert was the the president at the time and um and and bob was i guess the ceo i'm trying to remember and um okay. so they kept full house on the air and they would even run it twice a week and then after one after oh. one year of it they needed a host for this video show they were going to do a pilot of and we we did a pilot they found me the vinda bona uh, and a, a guy named steve pasquet found me on the tonight show with johnny carson i was narrating my wedding videos <laughs> and they thought, oh, this is the perfect guy uh, to, to host a show about videos. So I did it. I did the pilot. Pilot beat a 60 Minutes rerun. And then they picked that up. So it was all accidental. It wasn't like, oh, I got to get this show or something. And most of the good things in my career and life have been that way. They just happened organically. And the things that sometimes I'm passionate about, you just have to push a little harder if you really, really are passionate. But that's how those started. And, you know, I'm a working person. I'm a hard worker. So, you know, I was a deli clerk during college, you know. So I had a strong work ethic. My dad taught it to me. Uh, he always worked. I always work. I'm always working. So yeah. I, I take time off once in a while. You're always working, right? Well, yeah, it comes with the comes with the territory. You know what I mean? If you want to kind of try your best to help people and do stuff like this and do other things, you can't complain or else – you know, don't get into that field. So I agree. And you're with you. lucky. You're lucky because you you have the facility to do it. Your wife is also must be amazing to be able to being a rheumatologist is really hard. I don't know. People really don't appreciate that field enough. And it's right now, especially with COVID, it's been the field. It's been where a lot of people turn to save their lives because we'll, we'll get into all that with with lung stuff yeah. but um yeah i i was just if if i'm given a task the hardest thing you do is direct a movie so that's like the most fun that's my most fun job but right now it's stand-up because i'm gonna do a new special so i'm out touring hardcore but making people laugh right now is i'm, I'm so norman cousins on this thing right now i am yep. so motivated and it's it's I, I've, I haven't been this excited to do stand-ups and make people laugh since ni 1995. That's how crazy this is. Where I, That's wow. where my life was changing and I was directing more and not on camera as much off camera is what I enjoyed. But this is uh, right out in front, making people laugh. And because I've been doing it over 40 years, I know how to do it. So, And you do a great job at it, I'll say that much. So It's, <laughs> it's subjective. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I, I really think you're cheating, uh, Bob, because my question number six says, 
what do you like doing the most? And I put TV or director or stand-up, but we must have a connection because I think we're playing off each other really well. I, I think it's also we have good Wi-Fi today. <laughs> Probably. Thanks, Chris. Um, so, no, I think that um, that makes sense. I think that we definitely need laughter at this point. I think that is that the answer for right now? Is that being super pumped up, doing your tour, making people just kind of like give them a little appendicitis when you're laughing? Is that the main thing? Yeah, I, yes. I don't want to drive them to the hospital. but. <laughs> If I'm in a place where people can drink, I'm not helping. I'm enabling. So <laughs> I just did some shows. I opened up. I was opening up so many venues that were closed. Atlantic City, I opened the Hard Rock. The, oh, cool. The, the Estes Arena. Yeah. And, you know, but it was only a seventh of the audience because you couldn't do full capacity. Now right. you can. Yep. Then I was in Houston, and that's like full capacity. <laughs> you know, people just want to shoot COVID with a gun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. Well, let me let me kind of bounce off that uh, this question I wanted to ask you. So I kind of thought you were going to answer stand-up. So my follow-up question is actually, can you just rattle off some people that influenced you in the comedy field, who you admire in the comedy field? Who, who do you look up to? Yeah, that's pretty easy. Um, there are people that I got to work with and got to know and I, when you get to meet your heroes and they don't disappoint and you get to be friends with them, that's like a, a dream. So there's people that I, I looked up to Richard Pryor um, and loved him. And I got to know him from hosting at the comedy store forever. And I was in a movie with him uh, about being a, I was a young doctor called Critical Condition. Oh. And he was, a, he was a fake doctor. He was an escaped convict. Uh, who got into a hospital and pretended he was a doctor. He was an imposter <laughs> yeah, in, in the movie. And um, Rodney Dangerfield uh, really liked helping young comedians. I was on his first young comedian special on HBO. Um, Don Rickles wow. loved him a lot, like a, like a dad, and became close with him. I used to sneak in and watch him at 17 years no old. Way. Uh, in in the Latin Casino, which was across in okay. Jersey, right across from Philly, and that's and he used to. I saw him open for Frank Sinatra, and then I saw him headline there himself. And I mean, there's a lot of people that I that I look up to, many many that I've met, and I met a couple that were hugely disappointing, and then I met others that I I mean I got to know, like Bob Newhart and. Norman Lear, um, who is a magical 98-and-a-half-year-old man who's one of the smartest people any of us could ever know, who changed television. And I was I just talked about this because there's a CNN series coming on about sitcoms. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm in it. Bill Carter uh, interviewed me. And I'm actually on with Jake Tapper um, Friday or next – I don't know when it is – soon – and we talked about it, uh, about the fact that I was watching All in the Family being filmed, Norman Lear doing the warm-up, and I would watch All in the Family and Sanford and Son and the Jeffersons. I was there. I, I was a teenager in L.A., and I wasn't even supposed to be there, but I was tall. And I know Norman Lear, we're, we get together and smoke cigars, wow. 98 and a half. So, <laughs> right, your wife might say, hey, I don't know about that, but he's 98 and a half. Comedians and cigars or geniuses and cigars sometimes if you don't <laughs> inhale. I would love to know your wife's opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, let me just, you know, I, I'm a big movie guy on top of medicine. And some of the, the comedians you just mentioned, I just want to say I grew up with Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. 
and this is not Richard Pryor's best movie, but I love Brewster's Million. That's the one I grew up with yeah. in my age. I was bawling. The Silver Streak. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, Stir Crazy. Ah, I love Stir Did Crazy. You? Gene Wilder is yeah. amazing. Oh. Yeah, the two of them together. Yeah. Um, and Richard's stand-up is kind of helped change. Lenny Bruce changed things, mm-hmm. and Richard Pryor changed yep. things. And a lot of that stuff, uh, people aren't, you know, they want to cancel a lot of that kind of stuff. And I don't disagree because things have changed. But uh, Richard Pryor's viewpoint holds up to this day, I think. Um, you know, funny is funny. It's just the times change and what what people, you know, we, we have to change yep. with the world changing. So I'm definitely aware of that. Me being known as a... Um, I guess. Uh, oh, uh, Jake Tapper called me a gritty comedian. Gritty. So that's uh, okay. <laughs> gritty, which means like I can do family stuff. It's not a problem. I like acting. I love being on Full House. Yeah. It, it, it's just stand up is a, a different love of mine. That is, a, it's like switching gears completely. So, but I've met I, my friends now are some of the best comedians that have ever lived, uh, and it's Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr. And these are very, very special people. They are. Know? These are, they are, they're pretty brilliant at what they're doing. And they're just going to be, become the new Mount Rushmore. And, and who wouldn't be here without the other people we mentioned? And before I like switch gears, I will say Dave Chappelle is probably my wife's favorite comedian. Yeah. And we do, before we go to bed, we watch him on Netflix sometimes. So he is the classic show. He's, he's amazing. Now I'm going to, Switch gears here. <clears throat> I'm always looking at the time, looking at you, or right in that halfway point. And I do want to talk now about scleroderma and ask, start off with the, the general question. I mean, why are you so passionate about scleroderma? And how do you explain scleroderma to the public? Meaning that when you talk to all your star friends, like, hey, why are you promoting this? What is scleroderma? How would you explain it? And I may jump in and, and throw a couple things out. Absolutely. Well, fortunately, um, I'm on the board of the Scleroderma Research Foundation. And so our chairman, Luke Evnen, Dr. Luke Evnen, has scleroderma. And, and so all and a few of our board members do as well. And we have an amazing scientific advisory board. If I told you the names, you'd go, or if you looked at our website, you'd go, whoa. I did. Yeah, I they're, did. they're good doctors. Um, yes. And so they do most of the medical speak for me. But in my layman's terms, I mean, I came to know it because my sister, um, Gay was her name. And she, um, we don't know what she had in 1991. We couldn't figure it out. She was sick for about two to three years. It was a pretty, pretty quick um digression and i did a movie about it um where i i reenacted what happened to her which was doctors going oh you have mental problems oh you have lupus oh you have epstein-barr oh you know salt you know whatever um and they found they didn't have like the nail test where you can detect or a blood test right you do the nail of people she had radonose arthritis where her uh, fingertips and her toes were, were blackening at the tips but they still didn't diagnose it. And they were guinea pigging her with cortisone and prednisone, which sometimes does help open up the lungs, but at a certain point it doesn't. And it can, as you know, make your brain futile if you stay on that stuff, high high doses. So she had to come to LA and live with my parents. She really um, got very sick. And we got her a rheumatologist here in Los Angeles who um, did not do a good job and was, trying his best 
but had a little bit of the, um, I'm sure you've seen it in many doctors, the, uh, a little bit of a God complex, a little bit. Um, and he, all he did was guinea pigger, uh, and didn't know what to do. Didn't know that I didn't know that there were places like Johns Hopkins and you said USC has a great center, you know, that there are centers of excellence that the Slaughter Research Foundation funds that have, thir- you know, 3,000 patients that do test trials. And where we're at today is because of what she didn't get the treatment of. And so she progressed and within two years, she was gone. And I was doing the benefit. I started doing the benefit, I think in 87, 86. Uh, and so it's over 30 years and we raised over $55 million for research. And so, so when wow. famous people, uh, it, they all know about it now because they've all had to do the benefit, all the comedians, all the musicians, all the different people that have given so much um, over these years. Pretty much every comedian has done it. Um, and I've been spearheading it and wanting to help people who I, I know a young girl, Sophie Ann, she's 10 with scleroderma. And you know the symptoms, you know, the uh, many things happen. With my sister, it looked good for a while because your face gets taut. So it looks like you, because yep. I understand it's too much collagen and you would think the opposite because logically, oh no, you should have more elasticity. It's the opposite. And the, the teeth yeah. start to be more pronounced because the lips kind of uh, go away. And the esophagus, yep, yep. that's when they have tr- people, patients have trouble swallowing. And um, yes, and then she passed away from it. But a lot of patients pass away because she has systemic scleroderma. And it was pulmonary hypertension, which is the lungs atrophied and didn't work anymore. Yeah. And, um, and they, they really... It was sad, but they took out her gallbladder. They did photophoresis or whatever it's called. And they, they did many, many yeah. things to her. Some were applicable and made sense. And then we didn't know what we were doing. We're just going to save us, save her. And now, you know, we fund a lot of centers of excellence. It's all about to come out, actually, because we've uh, totally revamped everything we've done um, and our website and our our world we have a conquer registry which allows patients to be registered and then be able to participate in test trials uh, at at a hospital near them i'm i would think usc's on the list i'm not sure um but i will bring it up after this for sure uh, but sure. but it's you know it's just about us giving money um to help fund these <laughs> And, and, that, and, it's, and they give, you know, what they're able to do with scleroderma now that they couldn't do for my sister is, uh, as I'm sure your wife would say, is there are new cocktails uh, and, new, and new medications, brand new ones by companies like Octillion. And I would mention Johnson & Johnson, but they're having a rough month again. Um, <laughs> you can't even buy their baby powder without trouble right now. There's chrome in it, but uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love the company, but um, but it, it's. I would she be alive today? Maybe, maybe had that happened, had had the medical treatments been available. Well, let me ask you this. You know, I mean, it's amazing. You're just going through all my, my, my questions about gay and how she presented. But let me ask you my first question, which was, 
when she first had some signs of scleroderma. And for my listeners over today, how do I categorize scleroderma? I put them into two broad categories, localized, where some people may only get the skin findings, mm-hmm. you know, nothing in the internal organs, or individuals who get what we call systemic sclerosis. And, you know, many doctors will divide that into two types, a limited or a diffuse. Diffuse, you're just yeah. throwing so many medical words out there, Bob. You're like a doctor itself. Well, it's, so. it's, it's, it's 38 years. <laughs> I don't know how many years I've been doing it. But the, I Man. osmosis, because I'm a numbskull. I can't remember anything. You're not, dude. I can tell you already the way you throw these words correctly. I'm impressed. And just for everyone listening, scleroderma is more than just, hey, my skin's involved. It's about the organs inside, and it could affect almost every organ. So was do you remember what your sister's first complaint was? Was it maybe this rain outs? Was it difficulty swallowing? Was it shortness of breath? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, I really do. And it's the same in most patients I've talked to. It's uh, body pain. It's just, okay. it, it's fatigue and severe pain. So it's almost, it's, you know, it's, it, this is the sickest version of it is it's like American werewolf in London when he turns into, or Wolverine when someone be, transforms. Yeah. It's a slow progression that this disease, it and it takes on a physical attribute. And it's also been, you know, there's a lot of conjecture. They call it an autoimmune disease, which it is, but it also has so many different forms. And I know from do- doctors I've talked to, and one is a Nobel Prize laureate. I can't remember his name, but I have his card. It's very heavy and big, and, and so is his cranium, very oversized cranium. But he, right. but he said that it's also it's it's a um, it's a um, uh, I'm doing a vascular disease. So it's often yes. a, a, a blood disease of the blood, and then from what he told me, and then of course it's autoimmune also, and then. I have friends that are not with us that had cancer also, and it taps onto it, much like we've heard of the COVID cases yeah. where, oh, well, my grandmother had cancer, but then she got COVID, and then it just triple complicated everything. It's, it's, we want to get it into the stage where, it, and we're almost there, we kind of are there with cancer, where you're your your chances are better than they've ever been with treatments they're not easy treatments i mean cancer is probably the hardest chemo and radiation is the hardest of all treatments of course but with this it's not that painful uh, it's it's really just different meds and um also doing healthy things for yourself you keep your extremities warm normal things like that can't eat or drink certain things although i know people that they drink more um but it is, and it, interestingly enough, and I'm sure you know this and your wife knows this, uh, not unlike COVID, when a person of African descent gets scleroderma, it affects them much uh, at a much faster pace and a much more difficult case yes. than a person who is not uh, of African descent. So it's, it's the, the numbers are... Um, interesting that how how it affects different people of, of different and, pigmentation and, and let me go medical here is that you know the thing about rheumatology that's so tough is that many of your diseases are not common you know and then on top of scleroderma there are individuals that will have scleroderma with no skin findings whatsoever 
that's even 3,000 times hard to diagnose. Right. And then I think the hard part and why I'm so impressed with your foundation, I definitely looked at the website and who's involved is because there is no magic bullet for scleroderma. Like, here's your pill and I'll cure your scleroderma. We, we, we target the symptoms, the organs that are going to be involved, you know, and you're right. And, you know, I wish for people's rainouts, I wish everyone could move to L.A. and live here in Southern California and it's tough. Because the fires yeah. will warm you up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I wanted to go back and just ask, you know, you already said that it wasn't like, here, here's a slam dunk diagnosis. I mean, how many doctors did you take your sister to? And you did mention lupus. You mentioned mono, which is EBV. Did I miss anything out there? Were those the two big ones that she got well, misdiagnosed for? And how many doctors did you take Psychosomatic. They went on a mental health route. Really? And that was, to me, really? the most insulting. That was um, because she was a neurotic person, but she was also an amazing, brilliant woman and a teacher yeah. and many students' favorite teacher of their whole lives. I hear from them today. People tell me what amazing, what an amazing person. And she didn't, nobody deserves this. Nobody deserves to be in this pain. And at the end of her life, I was there with her and um, yeah. she was saying, help me. Uh, and I said, I'm, I am. And I, I had to do that horrible thing you don't want to do in hospice, which turns into hospice quickly. And she doesn't yeah. have time to process it because she was so terrified and they had her on the wrong meds. Um, and then finally they just gave her morphine, which was at least she had a little bit of peace, but the, they didn't stop the prednisones. They, I'm going to really tell you about something yeah. I put a suit about. There was a doc. He's not alive. The doctor's not alive. So what happened was, and I won't say his name because I don't, I don't know. I'm not that kind of person. Okay. So yeah. he, um, she was getting released from the hospital to go to my parents. He said, we've okay. done all we can do right now. You know what hospitals have to do. So they load you with meds and then send you home. What they did was, you're not going to believe this. Your wife is going to go, what? They gave her, um, before she left the hospital at eight in the morning, I was picking her up at noon. They gave her a thousand milligram prednisone drip. A thousand, a thousand milligram drip. That's a huge, she gets in the car. Like a, what she's call off the rails. I'm fine. Everything's fine Jeez. now. I feel great. And I'm like, oh no, what did they do? And I got her to my parents, and they lived in the valley. And by two o'clock, they said we've got a problem. And by five o'clock, an ambulance yeah. came. And they took her to a hospital in the valley because she, her whole body was shutting down and she was having a psychotic episode and cursing like uh, the exorcist. And then they had to put her down at oh the hospital, put her, not put her down, but put, knock her out yeah, and keep her overnight and flush her system to get rid of this poison yeah. that they had put in her body. So instead of uh, yeah. helping her, they they just throw more drugs at you, but the amount they gave, that's you know, I think that probably would have held up in court, but then yeah. it wouldn't have because there was no I, I would need to get a major scientist to sit down and go, This is really bad for this person. And who wants to go through that legal case? And look at what we're doing in, in the world today with legal cases. <laughs> and somebody goes, here's all the evidence. I'm sorry, that's not enough for me. But um, yeah, that's where we were at. And then two years later, I'm, she passed in 94. And in 96, I made a television movie called For Hope for ABC, Bob Iger again. 
And Ted Harbert, again, who put me on Full House, allowed me to make this movie uh, directed mm -hmm. and executive produce it along with my friend Brad Gray and Bernie Burlstein. And it was about my, uh, Dana, Dana Delaney played someone loosely based on my sister and loosely pretty much, you know, spot on on our family. And we tried to get the word out on scleroderma. Went on Oprah with Sharon Monsky, the founder of the Scleroderma Research Foundation, who's a whole other episode for you. She, she was quite a great, amazing spitfire of a woman who was one of my dearest friends. So it's, it, 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 it kind of put a mirror up to my life. And Oprah said to me during a commercial break, this is going to change your life. It's going to mess it up. She didn't use that word. And I, I said, what do you mean? She said, you'll see. Because when you do something autobiographical, whether it be a book, but if it's a, t a movie and a television movie, and at that time, ABC was a big share of the market, and we beat everybody in the ratings, and it, it, it changed life. You know, I went through my, I guess, my third of 400 midlife crises. But it was, um, it, it helped put the disease on the map, but you can't, you can't stop right. doing it because people don't even know what it is. So, you know, I'm, I, I need to, I'm being nosy again about your sister. It's just, you know, I, I have patients with scleroderma and I'm doing this because I want them to listen to this episode so they know they're not alone. And two things, one's more of a statement, you know, in, in rheumatology, I think that sometimes you feel you could throw steroids at everything. And I definitely 100% agree with you that scleroderma, and I like how you phrased it earlier in our conversation, hey, sometimes it's okay to give a little steroid, but that's usually not a disease that you blast with steroids for a bunch of reasons. And for my med students listening right. today, there's something called scleroderma renal crisis, and it can be potentiated by giving steroids. And, you know, I even, you know... 20 milligrams of prednisone is 20 milligrams too much. And as soon as you start someone on steroids, you got to get them off because you start off with one disease called scleroderma, then you'll end up with another disease called steroid toxicity. I guarantee it, you know. But my question for you, Bob, and sorry for going on that side note is... No, I, I appreciate that side note. I'm, I hadn't heard that and it makes complete sense because that's what happened to her. <sighs> And, you know, I'm the lung doctor and people always ask, I mean, why are you passionate about a rheumatological disease? It's because it affects the lungs quite a bit. And most of my scleroderma patients sees me for uh, lunging issues. There's two main ones. And I wanted to know if you're, you know, if gay had either of these. One is called pulmonary fibrosis and the other is called pulmonary arterial hypertension. And these are both yeah. very severe. And I think you did mention it, but I'm going to ask you again. Did she have any one of those? Uh, pul pulmonary arterial hypertension, uh, or PA, as we call it, um, I actually know about it. And yeah, and that was, that was when she was doomed. Um, and that happens to a lot of patients. And I have a dear friend who's a board member who lost her mom. And um, we got her to one of the better doctors, uh, Fred Wigley. Um, he's kind of in Carol Black is in England. So he's one of the people that's one of the main people that's seen the most at Johns Hopkins. But there, everyone is working on it now because it's more prevalent. I know that you yeah. guys are working on it at USC because it, it, I always talk to somebody. Maybe I'm the poster boy, but people are saying, oh, my aunt has it. I just lost my mom to it or my mother's doing well. She's on this program at this hospital. I'm like, that's fantastic. 
Cause and when it comes to the lungs, I would say two things. Number one, where we are now in 2021, there are so many more categories of drugs that we use for pulmonary arterial hypertension, PA. And there are also many drugs out there that got FDA approval for the pulmonary fibrosis. And I'm hoping this podcast, me and you being buddies, are going to raise awareness that people with steroderma, when you start saying, I have difficulty breathing, push your doctors to find out what therapies are out there or refer to an uh, institution that can get you those therapies because you don't have to suffer. And that's the truth. No, you don't. You don't. And there is relief. Uh, and, uh, and I see more people getting well now. I mean, in many ways, uh, uh, I've talked with our board we, and we say we've crossed the desert. We're not there, but we've crossed the desert in where we need to go now. Because there are literally new medications, uh, CellSap. There's, I don't know if you're familiar with that. CellSap, of course. People are loving it, and uh, and again, it's not for everybody. Every, everyone is different, but it's Intraclear was another one that was popular for a while. I think some people yep. are still on it, but people. I've talked to people that do bone marrow transplants, the full on. Yes, they, and it's a million bucks, or probably a million five today, and. They say it cured my scleroderma, and God bless them if that's the case. But I also talk to people that say, well, it did for a couple of years, and then the DNA just replicated itself. So I, I don't know. Um, I, you know, for the people that it's worked for, that's pretty pretty damn major, you know. Yeah. But people can't afford a million dollars. So, you no. know, we need to help people on a – on a real level. And that's why the test trials, whether they be at your hospital, whether they be at, we fund uh, Stanford, UCSF, and well, a lot of hospitals, Houston somewhere, and Hopkins, of course, and they have their own place also. But the, but the key is to, you, you don't, when you're doing test trials, it doesn't cost you anything because you're part of the research. And, um, and they're your doctors. But they work with your rheumatologist. So you'll go to a center yeah. wherever you go where you find out and you can find out on our, on our website. Now, that's the other thing that we, we, we're, we're, it's pretty impressive what we're, we, we've got, we've got some, um, some, it's a whole new registry and people it's, um, the, the website is srfcure.org. Okay. We're about to get a, a brand new, uh, web website, which is a pretty title, which is pretty amazing. So I can't tell you what it is, but it's not hard to figure out. Um, and there are other there are other scleroderma organizations that um, that help people, you know. And but but ours is only research. But we branched out in terms of trying to help patients and have forums and discussions, and you know. And, and this is scleroderma awareness month right now. And, and uh, it, June, yeah, we're, June, we're at the, the, the tail end of it, so we squeezed you in there for the, I the appreciate last day, that, right? <laughs> and it's you know it's. It's important. People don't know how to spell it. You know, it's, no. it's Latin. I, I wish there was a new name for it, but there won't be. But it's sclero and derma. Derma is skin. I know that because um, there's a thing in my heritage called stuffed derma, which is uh, kishka, which you, uh, my grandmother would make. And it's gross. It's potato, <laughs> stuff, potato stuffing and chicken fat with tripe the lining of the cow's stomach wrapped around it kind of like a sausage but it's um <laughs> it's actually good but it's it's really it doesn't sound good Bob. i'm sorry i think it clots everything <laughs> i think there's nothing in your body it does not clot 
Okay. <laughs> so number one cause of heart attacks in my Probably. family. <laughs> well, let me say a couple of things because, I mean, you're just going off the numbers on me, uh, that I wanted to ask you, but you mentioned something I think is very important about scleroderma. Um, it does affect African-Americans the most, and they have a really tough course, especially here in the United States. And for those who don't know, gender-wise, women are more affected than men when it comes to scleroderma. And often in the prime of their lives, in, in their yeah. childbearing years. Well, well said. And I think that's one reason why there was another disease out there called sarcoidosis. And I'm one of their champions and it affects mainly African-American women. And I'm very proud. And I wanted to ask you that is this one of another reason beyond everything else that we need people to step up because we're not raising enough money because they are African-American. They are women. And we need to raise this. Is that Part of the motivation somewhere yeah. in there? Well, it's interesting. I've been involved with this disease so long. Um, before my sister got sick, um, well, actually, it was right after. It was uh, the year 2000. Sound like a Conan O'Brien sketch from a long time ago. Uh, my dear friend, Sharon Monsky, who founded the Scleroderma Research Foundation, she was very strong in interviews in People and Wall Street Journal that she believed that it was underfunded and no one cared because it affected mostly women. Yep. Period. She said that's why she thought it wasn't uh, that no nobody cared, and she didn't have the stats on affecting primarily people of African descent. And then we went to Washington, and you know, uh, it was a different time, different world. And at that time, Hillary Clinton was doing everything she could for women's diseases, all women's diseases. And we were there. We were, and Sharon Monsky got the Women of the Year 2000 award. And we spoke in front of the NIH. Tony Fauci was there, and all the people that people want to have debate over were there. And uh, the people that were trying to do good for disease, that's their ultimate goal. They're not all out to, you know, make a fast buck and sell a book. Um, and it was funny because I gave a speech. I got to interview, uh, introduce uh, oh, Sharon Monsky okay. at this thing with all these, all these biggest scientists in the United States and some out of the country, some from England. And, and I said, um, 300,000 people, roughly 300,000 people are affected by scleroderma. And then I stopped and then I realized, wait a minute, you're giving a fact, Bob. You don't know anything. And then I said, to Sharon, who's about to come up, I said, Sharon, is it 300,000 in the United States or in the world? And she said, in the United States. <laughs> and I said, because she wanted to, we want to make mm -hmm. our numbers big. So we, whether they are or not, and they were big. It's, it's hundreds of thousands. It's impossible to track. They don't have the database, which is what we're trying yeah. to do. Someone checks into a hospital, scleroderma goes into the database. We know really for real who's got it. Um, and then I got, I, at that moment, I said to all of these literal medical geniuses, I said, see, everybody in our business makes up the stats. <laughs> and I got applause because I was there with people from uh, cystic fibrosis, muscle dystrophy, um, I mean, Parkinson's, everything, every possible disease. And they were all grabbing me afterward and saying, how did you get that? How'd you get this? How'd you get that money? How'd you get this speaking? Uh, how did she get this award? And, and I realized, wow, 
at every level of humanity, even the people that are noblest doing their best, they're non-for-profiters trying to get their disease in the light. That's how many people suffer in this world. And they're basically publicists to try to, they're not being mean, but they're competitive because they're trying to shake the tree for their cause. So it's a, it's a big world to try to save. <laughs> now, and I definitely want to include this in there. And I know we're going to, at the end, we're going to put all the information. I know Chris is listening about the Scleroderma Research Foundation and all these important facts. But I want to make sure I ask you about something I think that is just awesome what you do because it combines and exemplifies, you know, your biggest strength, which is making people happy. Tell us about cool, comedy, hot Cuisine. Well, that is beautifully phrased. Um, this is what Sharon Monsky came up with years ago, along with her mm-hmm. uh, Pitzer roommate, that's a school, um, and Susan Feniger of the Two Hot Tamales of Border Grill, Top Chef. She's an amazing person, one of my dearest friends. Also, she's on the board forever from the beginning of the Sclerodema Research Foundation. And what happened was, I don't know what year it was, 84? 1984, something like that. I wasn't involved. She asked uh, Robin Williams, who was a frequent diner in their restaurant, uh, would you, we're going to do a comedy show. Could you possibly come in, in our restaurant? And I believe the restaurant was street or city. I always get confused, but, but it was a small place. They had 150 people and they had Richard Belzer and Paul Provenza, different comedians performing and Robin's wife called. Um, Marsha and said, um, Robin might go on, but he's coming in. Well, if Robin's coming in to eat dinner, uh, Robin, God rest his soul, he's going on. And so he did. And he was the very first performer of, of, you know, giant proportion to ever do the benefit. And then he did it seven more times. Um, and so I would, he would always show up and go, what do you need chief? And this would be in New York, LA, San Francisco. This is who Robin was. And when you meet people with scleroderma, you kind of don't want to say no, yeah. you want to, you want to help. So it was a comedy benefit. And that's how I met Sharon Monsky. She called me on a cold call and said, Hey, do you want to be part of this? And it's amazing food. It's a five course meal. Uh, it, it's Susan Feniger cooking. The wines are the best that exist because we have <laughs> winos <laughs> on our board. And it's the best comedians that exist. So we would have benefits that Sharon put together with John Aww. Candy and Lily Tomlin and, um, and just like, you know, these giant, uh, wonderful people. And then I started to take, I took over as host. Wasn't on the board yet, but started booking talent booking talent, asking people to help. And so every, literally everybody um, was doing it. And um, I mean, I can, I'll go through the list. I mean, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and um, um, we just had Dave Chappelle did it in the last one we could do in LA before the shutdown. And so I had, uh, (laughs) Dave Chappelle was on stage with John Mayer singing and John Stamos doing the <laughs> auction with me, and, cool. and Ray Romano and Ken, Ken Jong, and who's a doctor mm-hmm. and one of the sweetest people on the planet. We had George Lopez, I mean, it, 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 Rodney Dangerfield, Gary Shandling, um, literally 
Bill Bellamy. I mean, there have been people from the very beginning that say, please always ask me. John Oliver has done it numerous times. Okay. Michael Che did it a few times. I, I just He was just on my podcast, and I he said that the first time he did it, he was going to wear a Bob Saget T-shirt just to throw me off because he loves practical jokes. John Stewart did it, Jerry Seinfeld. Um, you know, it's it's kind of Cool Comedy Hot Cuisine is our flagship event. We do it in L.A., New York, and we were doing it in San Francisco. A lot of towns need repair, and a lot of towns need um, live events. We were thinking of doing it in the fall again live, but we all decided, I think, a smart executive decision to do okay. a virtual event again. So uh, October 17th, I think it's the first time I'm mentioning it, but we're going to go out with a press release. October 17th will be our next virtual. We did a virtual one last year, and we raised $1.1 million. Awesome. And to do a virtual event and do that is yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, with the help of Joel Gallen, uh, who's a television producer uh, forever, and a lot of wonderful, uh, a lot of my friends gave tapes and did things. Joel McHale and Sarah Silverman, and and uh, I mean, it, Stamos was actually hilarious, and and Pat Monahan from Train sang, uh, Train sang, and Kelly Clarkson sang, and John Mayer sang. I mean, it's just it, the heart of people uh, when they realize what scleroderma is. So Cool Comedy Hot Cuisine is, it gets irreverent. It gets where people are, well, I'm going to benefit with sick people in here. And uh, people are cursing and, and having a good time. And it, it's always been an incredible party. In LA, um, I'll invite you, we do it at the Beverly Wilshire in the ballroom. Everyone there. heard it. Everyone heard I'll it. Sure I'm going to be the first. I'm finally oh, it's happening. invited it's happening. to the the. It'll the be next race. next year, not this year, because we're, we're <laughs> it'll be when we're not virtual, and then it, we'll we'll do it again in New York, and we'll because people are coming back, and as long as we don't have all these uh, these variants, <laughs> deltas what and gammas, so and who knows what Greek alphabet's going to be coming up if we don't get vaccinated, and that's what it comes down to. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, anytime. Can I ask you a question? So what is what is the concern between your wife and yourself being in similar fields? I mean, what what's the concern with these variants? I mean, if you've been vaccinated, we'd pretty much go, let's just live our lives, but they're recommending, it's not legal, it's not the law to wear a mask, but they're recommending it. So I think the answer is always going to come down to, you know, what does a virus do? A virus could only replicate when they're in our cells. They're like little parasites, Bob. They can't do anything on their own. They're like little strands of DNA and RNA. And we know that the longer they're hanging out in our cells, they use us, the more times they're going to replicate. The more times you do something over and over again, the more chance of getting a mutation. So what you got to do is get vaccinated because it doesn't go in our cells and it doesn't mutate and we won't get these nasty, nasty deltas and gammas and alphas and betas. Who knows what the next alphabet soup is going to be? So my passion is this, is that if there is something that could help people, whether they're immune systems intact or not intact and, you know, stand up for the people who are older, who've done so much for us. I want to do it. And I always tell everyone, you know, there's so many different guidelines out there. Is it CDC or WHO? Never be bullied around. If you feel that you want to wear that mask and be safe, whether you're indoor or outdoor, you do it because of the fact that I see lung patients. My wife sees patients who have their immune system is just in disarray. 
And if one jab or two jabs could, you know, help them out, I'm always on that team. So I'm very passionate about it when it comes to helping people and encouraging people, you know, to get their vaccines. I, I've been saying I, I get vaccinated three times a week. I like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I want to like say a couple a couple more things. So, um you're, you know, the cool comedy hot cuisine is just amazing. There's so many people that don't even realize when you have a disease that's underdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, when you have a champion out there raising this type of like awareness and funds, it's just amazing because I always believe that these orphan diseases, diseases that go under radar, they definitely need a Goliath out there to help them. But I wanted to ask you something. So I'm going to be like the Oprah now. So um, one thing that I'm very passionate about is writing medical books. And, you know, my wife and I have a book series. And of course, I have it here. It's called Medicine Morning Report Beyond the Pearls. And um, my wife, the rheumatologist, has definitely wrote the rheumatology cases. My new second volume, second my edition of it is coming out soon. Right on the cover, there's someone who has rainouts on it. I wanted to know if, you know, number one, if you could write a foreword sure. for us, it would mean so much to me. And number two, I would, I would be honored if we could take a page of the book and dedicate it to Gay and the Scleroderma Research Foundation because there is a scleroderma case and it would just mean the world to me to have a champion like you who's passionate about this disease be associated with the book. It goes everywhere to all the medical students my god i'm honored i'm honored thank you yeah be my my honor uh, just tell me when you need it by all uh, right no I'll, I'll take care of all that and wow i don't uh, that's you just gave me a gift thank you no um, you're sharing your story you're helping so many people when my scleroderma patients found out that you're going to be doing something like this number one they didn't believe me Number two, I mean, they get a little teary-eyed because, I mean, we don't know people who really are out there who have influence to help disease states out. So they, it mean a lot. But I wasn't going to do this, but I said that my last question has to be something kind of funny. I don't want to just end on the medical note. So you know where I'm going with this. My question to you, and you could roll your eyes, is, is Full House ever going to be over is it, it ever going to be done? It's done. <laughs> it's done. I mean, it'll never Is go. It? I don't think it's ever going to go off the air. I, I you okay. know, they, they did the six seasons, really five, uh -huh. but it was spread it out to six seasons of Fuller House where we, yes. would, we would show up, you know, uh, the older cast. They called us the mm -hmm. legacy cast. They would open up like a chamber on the alien ship where Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> you know, lets us out of the decompression unit and we would make our appearances. But I think someone someday will, because it, it, the show is what it is and makes people feel so good for generations to come. Because every year, one of our producers, Bob Boyette, said every year a new audience is born for the show. It literally never went off the air. I mean, Brady Bunch went off the air. Um, and these are, those are the classics when I was young for kids. Um, Happy Days was always rerunning. But this thing's been <laughs> on since it went on. So that's 1987. Yeah. So it wow. has not stopped being on the air. And I don't think it's going to go away because it is beloved. And um, 
I wanted to do a, a Full House movie where it was a little more PG, you know, where okay. Danny Tanner's just been drinking too much because he can't he, <laughs> he can't take it anymore. <laughs> but but I think there will be there might be I wouldn't be surprised if one day it comes back with a whole new cast and they try to do that. But I don't think you can do that. I mean. There were other Star Trek series, you know, but still yep. you, when those movies came out with the original cast, those five or six Star Trek movies, it was a big deal. I mean, we were, us Trekkies were pretty excited about it. And I guess the, the <laughs> Fullers are pretty excited <laughs> if anything Full House comes out. I'll play around on TikTok and do something Full House related because no let me just say the word no the show is iconic uh you know bob seg you are iconic and i know i gotta wrap things up it's already been an hour plus um everyone this has been an honor to talk to bob saget here i think this is just amazing i hope i can't tell you i think this is going to be what do you think chris this is our best podcast ever right now this is going to be number one so it's good he set the bar really high right there and i hope everyone understands the passion that people have towards you know, diseases that don't get enough attention. I just can't say enough. We're going to put all the show notes in there. And I got to say, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say goodbye for this podcast, for this episode of the Dr. Raj podcast. And I'll see you again in about two weeks. Thank you again for being here, Bob. Uh, thank you, Dr. Raj. Thank you so much. Thanks for the honor. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.